The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 5, Letter from Franz Joseph, May 29th, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Okay, Star Trek fans, you history buffs, you, yes, everybody, everybody under our Trekophile spell with an F umbrella. We are back with our guest from last week, Karen Schnaubelt. Karen Schnaubelt, Turner Dick. But I'm thinking of her as Karen Schnaubelt because she's the daughter of Franz Joseph Schnaubelt. Franz Joseph Designs. We're talking the original technical manual. We're talking about the original Enterprise blueprints, the revolution, not just in Star Trek and it's Star Trek's revival, but in pop culture publishing too. And we've got some angles and stories here that you may not have heard yet. So listen, this is exciting. We've got more documents this week. You know the drill. Go over to facebook.com slash the Trek Files. See what all we're sharing with you this week. Right now, here's an audio sample. And then I'll be right back with Karen and we'll get on with this incredible story. Take a listen. Like Mr. Roddenberry, the STAR fans who have seen some of my drawings have gone overboard in their enthusiasm. They want to know how soon they'll be available in printed copy, and they're asking for drawings of the bridge, sickbay, the shuttlecraft, everything. I've already told Mr. Roddenberry quite truthfully that I do not classify myself as an avid Star Trek fan, but I can recognize the implications of what appears to be a definitely saleable article. And with no intended reflection on your integrity, I'm sure you can understand why I hesitate to show too many drawings before certain questions of propriety have been settled. All right. Yes. Questions, questions, questions. All this excitement and passion and blue sky thinking and those pesky questions <laughs> that the lawyers love. So listen, uh, I'm thrilled to welcome back Karen Schnaubelt, Turner Dick. Um, and yes, speaking of legal issues, she is in her day job, a technical writer and editor. She interprets legal and engineering ease when they come together over patent communications and issues. And she does a little bit of her dad's DNA comes through, and she does technical drawing, too, on the side. But, Karen, we had such a great time visiting last week. We just had too much to get into one episode. So thank you for making time and coming back with us. You're very welcome, and I'm very happy to be here. Well, I know, like I said, there are a couple of interviews out there with your dad. Uh, we lost him in uh, around uh, 1994. Um, he was just shy of 80. He did go to conventions the first uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Yes, until, he was I a total mom, con puppy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he would go to conventions and he would be up all night talking with fans. Uh, it was really great at Equicon 75, which was in San Diego. Uh, he and my mom were there and kind of hung out in the in the con suite. And my mother actually formed a friendship with Gene Roddenberry's mother. So they were off in a corner talking. Wow. <laughs> That's, I'm just trying to visualize all this back in the yeah back in the day. So we are we are talking the early '70s, and the first time you visited with us, we were looking at these initial. You know, here's the, the just it's just the passion that Star Trek engendered in different people. Some people had to go off and write fan fiction, which you did. Yep. Some people had to build props and build costumes, 
we're talking pre-internet days. We're talking pre, I can't even get a still. People were trading film clips. But your dad is, is and you said he was kind of a closet fan too. He wasn't just an engineer. Right. That... Well, he appreciated the show from the engineering standpoint. I mean, he was uh -huh. interested. He worked in the aerospace industry. So obviously he was interested in tech and space and spaceships. Well, we got to go to the Planet Earth premiere because of his work on that and and I don't remember him meeting Matt Jeffries specifically. I know he met Bob Justman because mm. at one point I'm standing there taking in the crowd and, and Dorothy Fontana comes up to me and says, oh, is that Bob Justman's brother? And I look over and it's Bob Justman and my dad talking to each other. And they're the same height and it's the same profile. And I'm like, oh my God, they look alike. <laughs> it's like, no, that's my dad. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, and when you say Planet Earth and the Planet Earth premiere, we're talking about one of Gene's, the Pax. Yes. And the backstory on this is after Gene Reinberry had seen some proposed drawings for the tech manual, and then mm -hmm. my dad had drawn the whole ship's blueprints and sent him a copy. And they apparently got completely circulated through everyone in Reinberry's offices down to the janitor had seen these. And... Uh, he decided that, that he wanted my dad to design the props for planet earth and he wanted things that were essentially the communicator the tricorder the medical kit but not obviously yeah. the communicator the tricorder the medical kit he wanted things that had the same function but looked different planet planet earth sized yeah planet earth sized yeah or size. And actually thinking back on it now, the, the communicator device was a cylinder that fit into a pocket on the uniform. And that's sort mm -hmm. of the precursor of then in later editions of Star Trek, we got the comm badge. Where it was just all right there. You yeah. didn't have to physically, yeah. Yeah, and now so in Discovery, it's everything. Advice. It's the transporter built into it. Yeah, yeah. That badge is like cell oh, phones. It keeps getting more and more functions. So the, the documents this week, actually, that we heard the sample from, we left off with that first exchange of letters and this wonderful ruse that Gene has. It's Actually, it's not just Gene. Anybody in Hollywood is very – it's harder now. We have, a, you know, we have so much transparency in the Internet. But it was easier to keep up the guise of – you know, I have four phone numbers, but they're all four phones on my desk or they're all different. Right. You know, like we have a, an assistant who answers, but she's sitting over here <laughs> to the left. You know, there's not a huge building here. And so when he tells his your dad to write to the manager of Lincoln Enterprises, you know, he basically that would have meant Majel, except there's no way Majel is going to write a Right. You know, it's a family business. So we I think you said you, we couldn't find you. We left this where your dad was going to write to Lincoln with his pitch and his proposal, and here's all my ideas. Right. And that's what we've got here, uh, which is amazing because he's talking about he wants to do the tech manual. He wants to do the blueprints, the booklet of general plans, and he wants to do working drawings for the basic props for fans, I guess, to build mm -hmm. their own. I mean, he's got all these ideas and brimming over, but you say um, you say that uh, – that you don't think he ever heard back from I don't think he ever heard back from manager. Lincoln. He heard back from Gene, who um, who wanted him to do, like, cost proposals of doing all these things. Because we're talking about Gene's his own. I mean, this is baby days of the revival. Gene is doing the PAX movies, right? Genesis 2 right. and Planet Gene's Earth. Gene's focus and then the third was not ones. really on Star Trek at that time. 
he was trying to launch all these other series and mm-hmm. see if anything stuck. The whole Genesis so like 2, the look world, I can do yeah, other things Genesis besides 2, this crazy Spectre, Star Trek. Quester tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, am I missing anything? Well, those those are coming in the next couple of years. Gen- uh, Quester and then yeah. Spectre. But, you know, but it's all in that el- of, focused I can do something bizarre. because. But he doesn't want Star Trek. It's that balancing act of I can do other things, but I don't want this other thing that's really unique to die yet. Let's keep it alive. But it's not my only baby. I can do other things, world. And it's interesting, this long letter that's longer than what he wrote to Gene, he gets into more of his, can you assure me you will protect my interests, which is, it's aware enough that he knows to ask the question, but it's that, would you say naivete of an engineer trying to navigate Hollywood? He knows he's putting a lot of time into this. Passion's driving a lot of the driving a lot of this, but uh, he's he's smart enough to know right. that he doesn't want to do a ton of work and be and be ripped off, right. not be exactly. remunerated for it. Exactly. Yeah, and I just love his wording. In the event this might ter- just turn into an unforeseen bonanza, <laughs> such as future science fiction usage, foreign life, which all of which happens. Yes. They even wind up on. I mean, your dad. Your dad was around to see them use the blueprints in in the clips in motion picture, and especially and even in Wrath of Khan yes. still. Right. Yes. What did he? What did he think of that? Just while I'm, he did. He got nothing for that. No. Right? Uh-uh. No. That was just. There were fans who were working on those productions and put that in as a loving tribute. Or you would hear ships with his names and call letters mm-hmm. calling each other in the background chatter on those shows. Yep. Especially in the motion so picture. So there were definitely Star Trek fans. That, well, I mean, even as far as Discovery, I think they've probably edited it out now, but there was somebody in the art department who was a fan who, when they wanted temporary placeholders for some of the communications, used the old UFP Two Faces logo and actually made it onto screen for two seconds in two different episodes. Early on. Well, so here, let's. So I'm so, like, okay, he's canon now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it goes. Well, he's canon in a lot of. Well, he's canon from those usages in the first two movies. But this, the letter we talk about, you didn't get a. The play out from this. So, no quote unquote manager from Lincoln you think ever no, wrote him back. No, I don't back. think anyone from Lincoln ever wrote him back. Most so, how did things proceed? Because we do know that he was allowed to sell a, a batch of sample. Ship blue Enterprise blueprints um, at the con there in 74. Right. Well, Gene had seen the blueprints and again had said um, to write Lincoln and make estimates of what it would cost to produce it. Because, you know, the blueprints are huge pages, so it would take specialty equipment to, pr- uh, to print them and such. And uh, the, in December, Gene invited him to come up to, to Warner Brothers just to hang out and talk about blueprints and such. Where he was officing then. He wasn't Paramount. He he, was yeah, he was Warner Brothers, Warner's, which is right. where he was producing some of these other projects. And uh, so my dad went up there in January of 74 and met – oh, he did meet Matt Jeffries. says, I flew to Burbank on PSA and met Good. with Gene, Matt Jeffries, Bob Jessamine, Bill Tice, and Ralph Nevada in Gene's offices at Warner Brothers. They were embarrassingly enthusiastic about the Starship drawings. It seems they are traveling all over Warner Brothers' lot. Even the building janitors have seen them. We discussed the problems he's having with the pilot of Planet Earth, and I agreed to try Mm -hmm. developing some sketches and would then get back together with them as soon as possible. And then he flies up there again on January 8th, and he agrees to do these 
uh, prop drawings for uh, for planet Earth, and I ac- I actually have copies of those. Oh, that's amazing! And he did get paid for that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's done. Well, so he's in that orbit. And then the other thing I love about before we leave it is this um, that we have in our documents this week. The whole conceit of the tech manual is that we have it today because these were accidental downloads. Right. From tomorrow right. was yesterday when the Enterprise is back in time over Omaha military force base, not Air Force Base. Um, and these excerpts are in the databanks. And then um, and then your dad's comments to Gene on the back of the one where he's saying, OK, this is just an idea I had. You know, don't kill me. Don't shoot me. Feel free to change this if you want to. And he's explaining he's explaining basically what all the nonfiction folks from from then forward do. I've I did this myself in two or three of my projects. You're you're taking all you can do. You might even consult other people. You might try to insult, uh, consult some creatives. But at the bottom line, you've got your own set of parameters, and here's what I'm basing it on. And to have him actually trying to tell Gene what his, you know, his creative process for this is not engineering. This is, you know, merging engineering and right. Star Trek knowledge. And but I thought it, I thought that. it was sweet that he was trying to come up with some kind of backstory as to why we would have these things, mm-hmm. and to actually have an explanation that was from Gene Roddenberry's actual on-screen universe. Right, which is something nobody has bothered with since that I'm thinking about. No one has said, why in the 80s and 90s and aughts and teens do we have Star Trek material from the 23rd and 24th centuries? But your dad, that was, that's the thing that's overlooked a lot with the tech manual, um, that he had that whole little conceit of the uh, the national security leak here. Well, and he <laughs> had this, this whole persona, too, when he wrote back to his fans. He would write as some minor bureaucrat at Starfleet headquarters. Yeah, well, because he actually had people writing him wanting to join Starfleet. So he would write back as this Starfleet persona of, oh, well, no, we don't exist yet. And (laughs) thank you for your interest. So he had like Starfleet headquarters stationary. Yes, exactly. And now that you think about it, in the early, I mean, who was there to face? we, We knew Gene Roddenberry and Dorothy Fontana. And and thanks to making of Star Trek, we knew Bob Dressman. But as far as people who were emerging that were new faces, and David Gerald was writing his mm-hmm. books, and Stephen Whitfield wrote his book and then kind of disappeared and didn't do anything else. Stephen Poe mm-hmm. didn't do anything else. He was getting on with his life. But here's the what makes the big, huge splash is Franz Joseph and these blueprints and this technical manual. And let's talk about that. What, what did he think? Now, the... This whole saga about the blueprints came out first in, we say, 74, and they were a huge seller. But that didn't really manifest into anything, right? Because they weren't counted as – there was no category for blueprints? Let's, Correct. How did that I mean, work? That, that was something that had never been done in the publishing industry before. Here we go. And right. Never been done before. And they weren't sure how they were going to go over with fans and – and people just went nuts over them. Because, well, because as a fan, you could, you know, oh, well, here's the ship and I can go find my personal stateroom. And, oh, there's mm-hmm. where the bowling alley is. And, oh, there's where the bathrooms are. Exactly. And he got, now he was talking to Gene 
nothing happened with Lincoln, but he wrote, he wrote to Paramount and got a, a, well, a conditional license. Well, nothing happened license. with Lincoln. There was like a gap of, I would say, two or three months where he just didn't hear from Gene, didn't hear from Lincoln, didn't look like that was project was going to go through. Mm -hmm. And he's got the, these blueprints drawn. So he wrote a letter of inquiry to Paramount, since Paramount owned rights to right. Star Trek or something. But licensing isn't a thing then. This is three years before right. Star Wars. So even. he yeah. writes to Paramount just to inquire, well, who actually owns the right rights to this property? And can I get a licensing agreement? Because I want to do this special printing of these blueprints for this convention just to see how they'll go over with fans. Mm -hmm. and, and that was... Uh, and that was Equicon 74. In L.A. In L.A. So uh, Anthony Sauber of Paramount's legal department wrote him back and said, we own the rights and we will give you a one-time license to do this. And you will pay us 10% of your profits. Okay, 10% fee. So and how? what was the press run? What was the print we run? We pr printed 500 copies. Okay. Using and actual blueprinting process, which uh -huh. uh, those copies are very valuable now because blueprints, when they're left out in the light, fade. So, mm -hmm. so there's not very many of them around. <laughs> and it didn't sell out, though. He sold he almost sold out. He like, sold right? 410 of the 500 copies okay. and had he had, like, cards to express interest in the tech manual and and to express interest in the other copies of the manual, I mean, the other copies right. of the blueprints. And he sold so a number a of those going. after uh, after the convention. Yeah. So where did it go business-wise to the next step then? Because eventually we get to the tech manual and selling well, because, the, well, the blueprints he, first. From he sends a check to Paramount and they're like, oh, oh, wait a minute, it's Star Trek and it's making money. <laughs> right. <laughs> And in 73, there weren't a lot of – I mean, the local stations were making money on their reruns, but this was a whole new avenue. And, oh, maybe this is worth thinking about, guys. So the next thing is he gets a call from Lou Mindling, who was the vice president of Paramount Television at the time, saying, okay, you have this property, and you need to deal with us, and we will hook you up with Valentine Books. Mm-hmm. And then over the and so that's how that and yeah, then over that's the, how the blueprints yes happen. it's like well you know Valentine is our official outlet for publishing mm -hmm. things so we're gonna hook you up with Valentine there you go and he had it ready to go he did the blueprints first yes. right mm -hmm. obviously yeah that was seventy four and so then the tech manual was they sold so well because I remember being out I had to wait several months to find my local store because they were always out they would sell before right. I could get it right. Five bucks a pop, I think they were. Yeah. Which is ridiculous for how many, we're talking tech yeah. manual, right? Which was ridiculous for how many copies of that thing got printed. Well, I was talking about the blueprints. Well, the blueprints were cheaper. Were they like $3.50 yeah, or something? I don't, or no, I thought they, they were they five. five. Yeah, they were five. Four ninety-five or five. I just remember my mom commenting on, so my story is, the so, so the tech manual gets done. He gets the deal. I guess the sales promote that. That's awesome. Right. It's out. It's a hit. Now, tell me about the, the, real quick, the printing history of the tech manual. The, well, both of them are interesting um, in terms of rights. Um, the blueprints, Paramount takes 
they put their copyright on it and they take the lion's share of the rights and the lion's share of the sales because, you know, it's the enterprise. It's not his intellectual mm -hmm. property. He's the artist who drew it, but. And totally conceptualized the interior, and, but we'll leave that. And there was a okay. lot of yeah. discussion back and forth because, again, it's blueprints. It's not a it's not a book or, you know, it's it's right. So the industry didn't really have so ways to like, gauge and we'll give you three percent. No. And he's like, that seems low <laughs> because <laughs> authors of books at the time were getting 10, 12 percent of the profits of their books. So he talks to a number yeah. of people, including David Gerald. And he's like, this is too low. Um, so there's there's like months of negotiation that go on with Paramount bef before the blueprints come out. But, they, you know, they finally settle on something and and. And it goes to the and roof. It, yeah. And the copyright is paramount only and and sales go through the roof. Because um, I've within the first few months, they had already gone through five printings. Something yeah, like that. A lot so of, the tech yeah. manual. Yeah. So the tech manual comes along. It's different. It's a different saga for him as far as the deal. Is it uh, again? They're hesitant to give him any rights at all. And he's like, look. Mm -hmm. A lot of this, you know, I don't want the rights to your stuff that's obviously your stuff from the show, but the stuff that I developed, I want copyright on. And Paramount did. Like the other ships, like Starfleet Headquarters. Like Starfleet like, Headquarters, like yeah. the Articles of Federation. Um, yeah. So he and Lou Minling go back and forth over a period of months. And Lou finally says, fine, copyright it in your own name. So that's that's been interesting too. <laughs> well, so what was it? you were talking about the print run for this was and the print run the for the uh, because because the uh, the blueprints kept selling out and selling out and selling out. The print run for the tech manual was huge. Uh, the tech manual was classified as a trade paperback. The average trade paperback first printing is twenty thousand copies. The first printing of the tech manual was four hundred and fifty thousand copies. Wow. I'm amazed they took that kind of a, I mean, they had the blueprints to go on, but I'm amazed yeah, they took, still took just, that kind of a gamble. It's just amazing to me. Well, yeah. and it's also amusing now because, you know, copies of the tech manual come up on eBay and, ooh, it's the first printing. And right. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that doesn't make it rare. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we were trying to figure out, it was, it was several weeks, 12 or 16 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list for, for that, which again was amazing yes. and, and rang a lot of bells. Oh, to me, it's one of the more one of the other reasons why more and more Star Trek look viable. Look, it's making money. Yes, exactly. So it's making big exactly. money. It's making headlines. So we have to do a revival TV show slash movie of some kind. Yeah. But as far as your dad and Gene personally, Gene backed off because he realized this was turning into giving away too much power and creativity here. Or? Yeah. Well, between the whole. The planet Earth thing happened first where my dad wanted to retain rights to his own art, not knowing how Hollywood worked, so refused to sign the contract. So, again, I'm not sure if he got paid. He didn't get on-screen credit. The props that appeared on screen were not as detailed as they might have been. I remember the medical kit, medical mm -hmm. kit in particular. They opened it up, and it's like three pieces of wood on hinges spray painted silver <laughs> clack 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 and i'm like oh that's not like the drawings at all which were quite detailed and had all these vials yeah. and things inside of them so well, i mean they were there they were 70s the and that's a pilot yeah, yeah. 
budget. But no. So yeah. that there was that conflict, and then there was this whole. All of a sudden, it wasn't Lincoln Enterprises publishing this and getting the profits. It was Ballantine and Paramount mm-hmm. publishing this and getting the profits. And I'm not sure how much money that Gene saw out of that. How was your dad's mood about how things wrapped up? I mean, he went to cons. He was actually obviously still a fan. He didn't get right. you know bitter right. and, and disappointed and, and disillusioned. Was very gracious and. Invited him to the Planet Earth premiere. I mean, he is, he and my mm-hmm. mom and I went, and everyone was gracious to us. And he was also very gracious in that he suggested that my dad send a copy of the Blueprints to the Smithsonian for their Life in the Universe exhibit, mm-hmm. which was uh, featuring Star Trek. Uh, well, it was featuring the, the shooting model of the Enterprise, the 14-foot model. Right. Right. So, uh, so my dad That's all like seventy six. Yeah. So my dad sent copies of that to to the Smithsonian and and met Fred Durant of the Smithsonian. And as a result, my dad ended up submitting a design for a stamp that was Life in the Universe to the U.S. Post Office <laughs> at the suggestion of the Smithsonian. <laughs> it it did not get made. But it was interesting that they suggested that, oh, well, here, do this. <laughs> oh. And again, it was well, the Enterprise on that stamp. How wonderful that would have been as a collectible. Yeah. Well, we just were talking about Star Trek stamps here in the last couple of episodes. That's timely that we've come around. Stamps were a much bigger thing in the 70s and the 80s than they are today, obviously, with the Internet. So it sounds like, though, with your dad going around to come. I mean, and, and I know he, he had a, what, a heart attack. Well, yeah. he, had, he had blockages, and he was supposed to have bypass surgery, and he died the night before surgery. He went into cardiac arrest. Oh, oh okay. But my point is that he, he never shied away from his fandom. He did none of this experience. I mean, was he on the whole positive about yes. it? He didn't, yes, I, absolutely. Yeah. What was his final take on the whole episode, I guess? Is, glad to have been a part. Oh, absolutely. Was it absolutely. Yeah. Um, he did say at one point that Gene Roddenberry had told him, well, because Gene was involved with all these other projects, that Gene had told him that Star Trek was dead and that he was allowed to do whatever he wanted with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he kept he kept saying that he would never have redesigned some of the ships and whatever if he had not been given permission to do so. It's amazing how, yeah, this is such a unique situation, but it's it's a partly just because it is the early days, things are not set in stone. Everything with Star Trek is in flux. If there is anything even to be in flux about, that it has a future. Yes. So yes. it's just an amazing time that your dad happened to be where he was, um, bolstered by the original Star San Diego group and your, your group there. It, it, it was just such an amazing mix of factors, but that's how things happen, especially things that pioneer and... You know, when we break through and, and, and create a new, an, a, something that pioneers well, the field. Well, like all these things that, that there are people that were fans of the original series that are now working in the industry on mm-hmm. the newer versions of the shows. So, Right. And pay, and again, whether it's supposed to be on film or not, but everybody carries the spirit of your dad's work right. and the tech manual right. and the blueprints and everybody, you know, it's fostered a whole industry across other, you know, Star Wars immediately came out with tech manuals and blueprints yes, of everything. Of the sets. Right, right out of the gate. 
you know? I mean, it obviously inspired all of that, much less everything in the Star Trek world that everybody carries with them to this day. So anyway, Karen, th thank you so much. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe let's keep digging and maybe we'll find some more material we can talk about in depth. But for now, this has been not just a waltz down memory lane, but hopefully a little context and some and some uh, front row witness to what your dad was going through and the way you remember it. And uh, anyway, th thanks for sharing all that and your thoughts and feelings yeah. and memories about all of it with us. That's, a, that's an amazing resource, sir. Let's try to get back to it if we can. Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.